a listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Join us each week as we break down one issue in global politics so you can understand what's going on in the world right now and what's likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr Keith Souter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Barbagat. I'm a journalist. And recently, some were shocked to find a video doing the rounds on social media claiming the World Economic Forum wants us to own nothing by 2030, but all might not be as it seems with Reuters stepping in to fact-check the whole thing. Now, Keith, firstly, what's the claim in this video about? I'm not sure quite which video you've looked at. I've seen so many. I've had so many people contact <laughs> me about this. This is um, ultimately, I think, traceable back to Ida Orkin, who's a Danish MP, former Minister for the Environment, very articulate young woman. And in the video that she's produced, she talks about the fact that we're going to have a circular economy. So this is the jargon that we've used in the past in this series. So what she is saying is that all products become services. So you don't buy a car, you rent one. And you can either do that by as we're seeing at the moment that people will perhaps rent a car to go away for the weekend, or you could rent a car just simply as a driverless vehicle to get you from A to B. You get out, you go whatever B is, the cinema or whatever, somebody else's house, you get out, your bank account is debited, and the car goes on to the next client, which means you don't need to own a car. Mm. That's a really big shift in Western thinking because an important rite of passage of many young people is getting a driver's license. I'm now teaching young Americans who don't bother to have a driver's license. Mm. They've become so accustomed to public transport, Uber drivers, etc. Eventually, of course, Uber, which is looking at driverless cars, will just simply get rid of their fleet of cars And instead, when you call up Uber, you won't get a human coming to pick you up from your home. It'll be a driverless car. So what she's looking at is a world in which you don't own things. And instead, with this circular economy, the good news is that it then forces car manufacturers, for example, to produce cars that you can then recycle. Because at the end of the day, let's say you've hired your car for five years and you just simply say to the car company, I've got tired of this car, please come and take it away, which means that they then have an incentive to produce a car or a scooter or a bicycle, which they can then rework into a new type of vehicle. So that's the circular economy. Mm -hmm. We've endorsed the circular economy while doing these programs because it is clearly a way of trying to protect the environment and reduce the amount of stuff that goes into the garbage. For me, it's a good idea. The problem is that the way in which Ida Orkin talks about it in such glowing terms, such visionary terms, Mm -hmm. it's not only the whole question of ownership. She looks at a lot of other things, including the Internet of Things. So the Internet of Things means that everything in the world, by a particular date, maybe 2040, everything will be connected to everything else. So there'll be somewhere of the order of 20 billion items on the Internet, Mm. perhaps seven billion of them will be humans. We'll be in the minority, right? Uh, Yeah, I know. (laughs) So your car will be on the internet. Your fridge will be on the internet. Your toaster Mm. will be on the internet. And so all of these components can then talk to each other. One of my favourite examples is that um, when you're out in your rented car, you will receive a message from your fridge 
that you're running short of milk. So you've got to collect the milk on the way in. It feels like that's the way things are going. It kind of makes sense, but it's also a bit bizarre, isn't it? Very bizarre. And then she actually admits there's no privacy in this world. So although she speaks in glowing terms about this future, she then has a hint of, well, you know, we're not going to have any privacy in the future. And remember, this then flows through to what we see in China with the social credit system. So in China, you start off, say, with 100 points, and the Chinese government notices that you're buying diapers, which means you're looking after babies. That's good because they're running out of babies in China. That's good. You get more social credit points, or else they can see that you're spending too much time watching porn or gambling or whatever. And so you lose your social credit points. And then in August (laughs) or wherever, you go to the railway station to buy a ticket to visit your ancestral village to um, lay um, flowers on the graves of your ancestors. And the station master will just simply say, sorry, you don't have enough points to buy a ticket. So this is the social credit system. So what they do in, in parts of China now, if you dash across the road when there's a don't walk sign, mm-hmm. by the time you've got to the other side of the road, they've recognised who you are and your name is on a billboard on the other side of the road. Wow. Saying, Sasha, you are a disgrace. (laughs) (laughs) It just, it's, so this is the way that some people think the world is going. Well, we're seeing it in Australia. Remember, we've had huge controversies in this country over certain stores who want facial recognition technology that attract people as they come out through the car park and perhaps try to block them from entering the building where they think they're going to be seen as troublemakers. We've seen the onset of this facial recognition technology. This is the thin end of the wedge. Scary thoughts, I guess, for some people. Like you said, privacy, um, you know, is effectively a construct in our society these days. I wanted to ask you, circling back to the World Economic Forum and its predictions for 2030. Now, it seems that some groups have gotten a a handle on this, we'll own nothing and be happy about it. What was the fallout from that and what's their commentary been around it? Well, it's tagged with the World Economic Forum because this person is associated with the World Economic Forum, but she's not a spokesperson for it. She simply placed her views on their website, which is a real risk you've got to bear in mind because suddenly everyone is saying this is a conspiracy by the World Economic Forum. Now, the World Economic Forum hosts um, a major talk fest each year in Davos, which is an elite ski resort in Switzerland. Klaus Schwab, who's a Swiss-German, has been the founder of the World Economic Forum. He's, um, I think, in his mid-'80s, a retired professor of management who created the World Economic Forum basically to enable people to get together to exchange ideas. We think, I think, somebody told me that he may have been actually a member of the Club of Rome, which is my organisation. So we started this think tank business and he figured he could do better with creating his own one. Everybody creates their own think tanks nowadays. So Schwab created this World Economic Forum, which has become really a big signature event. And so the captains of industry go there. Hollywood film stars go there to show that they're treating the world's problems seriously, you know, Brad Pitt, for example. So you get to meet the film stars there. It's a really big annual event. World Economic Forum produce a lot of, I think, good material, not just the Davos conference, that, that's the flagship event, but there are a lot of good reports, etc. I was interviewed for one that they did on, on Mongolia and the future for that country, which is very resource-rich, but unfortunately very close to China, Yes, wondering what their future should be 
So they approached the World Economic Forum to do this study on the future of their country. So the World Economic Forum, I think, is a worthwhile organisation, but it is also attracting huge criticism from groups on the extreme left and the extreme right. In fact, I think that now it's very difficult to work out what constitutes the left or the right. They've just got people who are very suspicious. The Pauline Hansons of this world refer to World Economic Forum as a socialist conspiracy. But you've also got others who are saying, look, it contains the CEOs of Apple and other big corporations. This is a right-wing conspiracy (laughs) to take over the world. I wanted to bring up with you, yeah, in terms of this left versus right, you know, woke versus whatever, you know, when these ideas that are being put forward, you know, the the circular economy, the internet of things, and a side gets a hold of it and decides it's a conspiracy theory, like how easily is it for them to spread that perhaps misinformation about what it actually means? Well, this is what I found very disturbing about the phrase. I think that Ida Orkin could have done a bit better with her video, but I think she's on the money in terms of talking about the circular economy. And and as I say, we've we've looked at the circular economy in these talks. For me, if we're going to save the environment, of course, you know, we've also looked at the end of the world. So you could almost argue, well, you know, global truths doesn't have any view about whether or not we are going to be able to save the world. Maybe we're all just so damned. Yeah, who knows? Uh, Who knows? Um, But if we are going to save the world, then the challenge will be for us to think in wholly new economic terms like the circular economy. And the problem is that the controversy generated is really going to make life very difficult if you're going to be pushing for economic reforms. That's the risk that we run. Clearly, if we're going to save the environment, we can't carry on the way that we are at the moment. We're just running out of resources, etc. We've got all these unusual weather patterns around the world, all these difficulties. We've got to be able to think differently. And Ida Orkin, to her credit, was trying to do that with her short video clip. But the problem is it spooked a lot of people who I think are very comfortable with where we are. Reminds me of the story about the, you know, the dog sitting on a rusty nail and barking, but it won't move off the nail. (laughs) And that's basically the situation that we're in at the moment. We've got to have major changes to protect the environment, to change the economy. And you get this person who comes up with some new ideas, and yet you've got others who are saying, oh, no, no, this is all a conspiracy. Thanks for joining us this week on Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. And this episode, we are talking about potential changes to the worldwide economy and whether it's spooking certain sides. Now, Keith, what is it, do you think, you know, we've spoken about the Internet of Things, we've spoken about the circular economy. What other sort of ideas is the World Economic Forum putting forward as goals for 2030 off the back of this summit? What they're also looking at, you'll eat much less meat. And again, of course, the meat eaters have been up in arms about that one. But the idea that you can perhaps have 3D printing of meat, fast food outlets here in Sydney are already producing meatless hamburgers, etc. So yes. we, we are moving towards that already. There's also the warning that a billion people will be displaced by climate change. Mm. Again, I accept that point of view. I'm not sure about the exact number of a billion, but clearly we're getting huge disruptions to our society. You know, we're meeting at a time we've had record rain in Australia, bushfires before that. So clearly something is happening with the weather. And you've got others, of course, who are in this state of denial, saying, oh, no, the sun's just getting warmer, then it'll cool down again, all the rest of it. The World Economic Forum is actually warning that we could have mass migrations of people. This is an issue, for example, for the Australian government in the South Pacific. 
people are saying mm. that the threat to the South Pacific doesn't come from China, it comes from climate change. And in the case of China taking over the South Pacific, they're going to be taking over an environmental liability mm -hmm. because the land is disappearing under the water. The New Zealand government years ago said that they will accept a new category of person called an environmental refugee, not currently recognised in international law. But if your country's going underwater, New Zealand will accept you as environmental refugees. The Australian government ought to be making a similar sort of pledge to the South Pacific Island governments. We obviously have problems with climate change. Polluters will have to pay to emit carbon dioxide. So we're moving into this issue of a carbon tax, which if we had had a carbon tax years ago, I think we would have by now reduced some of the crisis yeah. with carbon. Well, they were showing that it was working almost, you know, when I say immediately, it was reducing emissions. Yeah. That's what the goal was. That's yeah. what we're all trying to so, do. So, but again, it got blocked by people who deny that there is a problem with climate change. Another suggestion is that you could be preparing to go to Mars, mm. So, yeah, which is interesting. Elon Musk will be your tour guide for that, I guess. <laughs> Another one is that Western values will have been tested to the breaking point and that democracies are in danger. I find it intriguing the number of people who are probably despairing of democracy at the moment. You know, we just look at what goes on in this state and the high degree of corruption that you see, that is now being revealed. There is clearly a crisis in democracy and a crisis in Western values. Perhaps we will end up being governed by authoritarian leaders. So President Xi's system of government in China will perhaps swamp the rest of the world. So we will end up with facial recognition technology and you will be happy because you'll be entertained to death, so to speak, because you won't know any better. Yeah. You'll be brainwashed and the ordinary person is a consumer. In China, the system is that, yes, there is repression in China, but as long as we continue to feed you, then you've got no right to rebel. Mm -hmm. In China, there is a tradition that if you have hunger, you have a right to rebel against the government. So what we're moving into then perhaps is an era of much more social control, much more monitoring of people. But the quid pro quo is that you will then be guaranteed food, housing, perhaps a universal basic income. This is another thing that's caused problems. Remember, we've endorsed that in this series, but the idea of being paid to do nothing, to sit at home, because this just won't be the work for you. This all, all part of the World Economic Forum's approach to simply say, well, how are people going to make money in the future? And if you're the Apple Corporation, you obviously have an interest in people making money so they can buy your products or renting your products, yeah. etc. So we've got major challenges ahead of us. And instead, the challenges are being undermined by people who are saying, oh, no, we're worried about a police state or whatever. These are worthy concerns. But at the same time, we've got to have our minds open to looking to how we are going to protect the environment, uh, how we are going to save the planet, including, of course, you know, trying to avoid warfare and all the rest of it. These require new ways of thinking. And I think we're becoming much more narrow in our approach to issues. And Ida Orkin, to her credit, at least has pre presented us with one vision of the future. Remember, this is Ida Orkin. It's not the World Economic Forum. She just placed her video on their website. Mm -hmm. She at least had the courage to come up with a vision of an alternative society with a warning at the end because of the privacy issue. But it, that's the sort of big thinking that we need amongst the politicians. And we're lacking that at the moment, who spend all their time politicians in Australia might talk about 
the national interest, but they spend so much time thinking about self-interest. I wanted to ask you, just to wrap us up today, if you had any advice to people when they stumble across these sort of frightening theories online, you know, people will sometimes read a headline, read a story and take it at face value. Do you have advice or a way that people can wade through all this information? We're in information overload constantly. It's information overload partly because it's self-inflicted. So people are relying more and more on social media. And remember, there are no guardrails on social media. If you're writing for a, a newspaper, there are certain limitations about what you can say. On social media, you can say anything and get away with it. So my advice to people is don't get on social media. The people who have contacted me are all talking about what they've seen on Facebook. Yeah, right. <laughs> so stay off, stay away. The stay away from the social <laughs> media. Read widely, read critically. Great advice. Thank you, Keith. As always, you are full of fascinating points and we look forward to next week's episode. Thank you. Listener.